0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: TVNZ's Katie Bradford was on the case in the Auckland High Court this week, reporting on that fraud trial concerning undeclared donations to the New Zealand First Party. But this week she was also reporting another hot political story, the government's proposed fair pay agreements law, which would allow for minimum pay and conditions across entire industries and potentially the entire country if workers want that. Parliament's Education and Workforce Select Committee heard unions want to back the change this week, but employers' representatives don't, calling it inflexible, as Katie Bradford pointed out on One News last Monday
0: a chorus of employers lined up to tell MPs, no way to FPAs. With staff shortages and a slow recovery from the pandemic, employers say now's not the time. Hotel managers say they've lost over 50% of their workforce. And people cannot be hired to clean rooms in Queenstown at the moment.
1: Also looking at that, this week was the political editor of the NBR, Brent Edwards, who's also a long-time member of the main journalist union, E2. and he said that the hearings this week showed that workers and employers have completely different notions of the labour market these days. One is a very benign labour market where everyone gets paid well and treated well, and the other is a rather
2: brutish and ugly labour market where people are paid poorly and treated badly. And of course, if you're an employer... You're saying everything's hunky dory, you don't need this legislation. And workers are saying, no, things aren't great for us, and we need fair pay agreements to lift our wages and and give them uh, better working conditions.
1: But it's not just in Parliament that arguments for and against fair pay agreements have been mounted, and one lobby group's even gone offshore to get a major international organisation to get the proposed reforms declared illegitimate. And as Hayden el now reports, how that's been reported in the media so far, has seriously muddied the waters.
2: On the 16th of May, the New Zealand Herald carried a headline that read like bad news for the government and those supporting its fair pay agreements legislation proposal to change fair pay agreements condemned by UN agency and Business New Zealand. The story went on to say that the UN's International Labour Organisation, or ILO, had placed New Zealand on a list of worst-case breaches of international labour treaties. It said we had been listed alongside Afghanistan and Venezuela and just ahead of Nigeria. Sounds kind of bad, but there were a few problems with this report. For starters, New Zealand hadn't been condemned by the ILO, neither had it been placed on a list of the worst cases of breaches of international labour treaties, and the only reason it had appeared just ahead of Nigeria was that the list the UN had put out was ordered alphabetically. It turned out the Herald had based its story on information provided by Business NZ, and that information had been, at best, misleading. The headline on the actual list put out by the UN agency didn't mention worse cases or international labour treaties at all. Its entry on fair pay agreements came under the comparatively impenetrable title Preliminary List of Cases as Submitted by the Social Partners Committee on the Application of Standards or, in plainer English, Stuff We Are Going to Consider in Future. In the information it sent out to the media, Business NZ had changed that wording and replaced it with the worst cases title while implying the ILO had already condemned fair pay agreements. Its chief executive Kirk Hope described the list as a naughty 40 for labour relations, asserting that the bill is in breach of ILO Convention 98, which forbids an act of interference between workers and employers. At that time, The Herald's business editor, Duncan Bridgman, told MediaWatch they accepted the information in good faith from Business NZ, though he said they could have looked closer at the detail of the source report. When called out on its mischaracterisation by stuff, Business NZ's employment relations policy manager, Paul Mackay, admitted its headline was altered, but said, It doesn't have to be a past tense breach. An intention to breach is just as bad. That's at best debatable. But this week, the ILO returned its judgment on the proposed legislation. Instead of finding that potential breach of an international labour treaty, it waived the legislation through, urging the government to continue to examine it in consultation with unions and employer groups while ensuring it complies with international labour treaties. Even that decision has been spun as a victory by Business NZ, which has issued a press release claiming the instruction to ensure compliance is an indication that the bill doesn't currently comply. A source with inside knowledge of the ILO told MediaWatch that's not true. There's nothing in the decision to say the current legislation breaches any treaties. This saga is just the latest escalation in a Business NZ campaign against fair pay agreements which worker advocates and politicians have criticised as overblown or, in some cases, misleading. Last month, it kicked off a campaign called Your Work, Your Way, which calls on Kiwis to reject fair pay agreements. Its YouTube channel has several explainer videos pointing to problems with the proposal and game show-style questions for people in the streets, like this one. Let's jump into a first question. Who do you think is going to be impacted the most by the fair pay agreements? Is it A, the mature working age student? Is it B, parents juggling work and kids? Is it C, the small business owner, or D, all of the above? From the facts, that have to say it is all of the above. And you're bang on the money. Well played. Business NZ has also been running online and radio advertising with slogans including this. Fair pay agreements are like socks for Christmas. Nobody wants them. Hey, sometimes socks are a pretty good present. Some workers might even see a potential pay rise as a better one. Besides its claims about the ILO, it has contended that under the legislation, if 10% of workers want a fair pay agreement, 100% of workers have to get one. They won't. Any agreement has to be ratified by a majority of workers in that industry. Business NZ has a long history and represents dozens of major New Zealand companies and its chief executive Kirk Hope has been well regarded, including in some union circles. Business NZ has an important perspective on this legislation. It's one of the major players affected by it, and one of the Press Council's principles is that reporting should be balanced. However, another of the Council's principles is that reporting should be accurate, and when one of those balancing voices is serving up stuff that's not true, that puts media outlets' compliance with that principle in jeopardy. That applies to single-source stories printed in the Herald, it might also affect some organisations that simply stick to their usual both-sides framing. Earlier this week, this headline was published on the One News website, for instance. Employers and workers divided on fair pay agreements. Now on a level that's accurate, they're definitely at odds, but the story repeats the assertion that the ILO said tweaks may be needed in the final legislation, a line that isn't actually in the ILO's statement. This week Media Watch asked Business NZ, does it regret altering the ILO's words to say New Zealand had landed on a list of worst case breaches of international labour treaties and a naughty 40 list after the ILO agreed to consider Business NZ's case? And does Business NZ stand by its recent statement that the Fair Pay Agreements Bill in its current form is not compliant with ILO Convention 98? Are there any regrets about the way Business NZ has run its campaign against the FBA legislation, and are there plans to adjust the way that campaign is run? They haven't responded so far. Rebecca McPhee is an experienced Labour reporter who's covered fair pay agreements for the Listener and Newsroom. She says Business NZ's campaign has essentially hacked the media in a way, using its commitment to both sides journalism to get it to reprint exaggerated or even untrue statements. She's opting for a different approach in her reporting.
0: Um, I, ha- I have been surprised by how this has rolled over the last you know, week to 10 days. The campaign that was run in 2000 when the then Labour government, the Helen Clark government was introducing the Employment Relations Bill, uh, which is the legislation that now prevails and was repealing at the same time the Employment Contracts Act, which was the very radical deregulation of the labour market that had occurred a decade before. I mean, it was nuts back at the time and it was stuff was just made up by various business interests that didn't want to lose the Employment Contracts Act. I thought that it was fairly likely that the Fair Pay Agreements bill would provoke, you know, some pretty hardcore campaigning. It's, you know, weirdly I'm still I'm still surprised to actually kind of see it in the flesh, I suppose. This kind of feels like a generational shift, I suppose.
2: Everyone expected Business NZ to have philosophical differences on this legislation to oppose it. Do you think, though, that they have crossed a line in the stuff that they've said about the ILO?
0: I do think they've, you know, they've glanced over the line from kind of hard lobbying to really, I think... It's inaccurate, what they've presented, particularly in the two um, media statements they've made this week. You know, because they've explicitly said that the ILO committee, the Committee on the Application of Standards, said things that it, in fact, did not say. And they've said that they got everything they went there for when... You know, they're very provably from the documents, did not get what they went there for condemnation in the strongest possible terms from the committee on the application of standards and you know they did not get that they've reported on what the ILO committee said it had ruled you know if you match the language it's you know it's provably wrong you know you just need to look at the words and compare the two documents.
2: How should reporters handle that? You're meant to provide balance, Business NZ. This, they're an important voice on this legislation. They're actually one that you should yeah. be able to include in good faith.
0: I mean, I suppose, you know, as a matter of rule, I don't think reporters should report anything from the press statement without fact checking it. You know, that said, I do think we're entitled to take on trust to a degree what an established member of the, of kind of civil society is saying. So, you know, I think we're entitled to agree that they're... I mean, you expect them to, you know, exercise language that's in the in, in the interest of the campaign that they're running. So, of course, they oppose this. You expect them to be emotional, emotive, um, perhaps a bit inflammatory, but you still expect the facts that sit underneath that perspective that they have on it to be truthful. I do think this is breaking the rules here on this. You know, I have great respect for the people who run that organisation. I've dealt with them for decades, literally, in their multiple different forms over the years. I think they've made a mistake here in the way they've approached this.
2: The U.S. had this kind of debate, right, with Donald oh. Trump, where you know you had this really important source that mm. would say things that aren't true, and it essentially hacked the media over there because yeah. they had to report what he said, but they couldn't trust that what he was saying was
0: true. Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly hard. I've found this really confounding this week, to be honest. Um, I don't know what the answer to this is. We have to report factually, and in this particular case, like that, wasn't hard. Because the documents were all there. I mean, when I, I, I
2: didn't. It's, 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 it's that old saying, right? I guess the, the old saying is, you know, your job isn't to. When someone tells you it's raining and someone tells you it's fine, and your job isn't, you know, to totally. report both sides, it's to look out the window.
0: Like how I treat press statements is, you know, they have their uses, they can be helpful as because they will express the views of a party to an issue in the words that that party has put those words themselves even within the context of sort of a very inflammatory view of an issue because it helps to to create a sort of a marker of what that group thinks of an issue. Beyond that, in, in, in much of this, you know, there's just sort of acres of documents, there's acres of sort of factual material. We have to sort of fight our way back to the source documents and report from that. I couldn't do that 30 years ago when I was reporting on the Employment Contracts Act. Um, so it's actually paradoxically easier to get to the factual source documents than it has ever been, really. And I suppose that's my response to this kind of use of misinformation is to just kind of try and go back to the the originating documents and, yeah, do the job. You know, we had the businesses you know, in case. You know, by then we actually had the record, the draft record of the committee when it it had sat on, I think it was June the 8th, I could see what everybody had said, including Business New Zealand, including the CTU, including um, other um, countries' union movements, including the global employers. And then when the conclusion came out, I could see what had been delivered. So this was clearly a case of literally looking out the window and seeing that it was raining. And it really, at that point, didn't matter what anybody thought about it because the only thing that mattered, in my view, to the story was what had actually happened.
2: In some cases, that's going to be harder. And then what's your approach?
0: Yeah, I mean, when it might not be raining and just misty. (laughs) (laughs) But I still think, I mean, I've just done a piece on the welfare reform for the listener that hasn't come out yet, and obviously that's a highly fraught area almost always sitting underneath it all, you, you dig down a couple of layers and there's just an enormous body of factual, considered research material for us to draw on. The, the capacity to find the source material is you know unprecedented in history and certainly in my career. But the you know, the time available to do that is also probably unprecedentedly short. And also there's this sort of drive towards interpretative takes on facts as we've seen in this particular case. That and it's it's a I think it's a daily battle for us.
1: That was journalist Rebecca McPhee, who's reported on the progress of the fair pay agreements currently before a select committee at Parliament and the opposition to them. And she's written about that in the New Zealand Herald, Newsroom and The Listener magazine. There, she was talking to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell.